the last one that we want to talk about too is the physiological stress. Mm-hmm. No, yeah. or psychological stress. Yeah, yeah, psychological yeah. stress. Oh, one last thing to tie in with the thermal stress, though. Um, just because, and I think this we we'll we'll go through that whole quote at the beginning too. But an interesting thing about thermal stuff is it really correlates to two organs. When we're dealing with cold, for example, we're really looking at lungs on the outside, kidneys on the inside. And so when we're thinking about, well, what does cold arguably do for our body? From a Chinese medicine perspective, that's kind of what we're looking for. So cold on the outside of the lungs, that's a little bit tricky. We don't want to overdo that, but we don't want to underdo that either. And so this gets to a really interesting point, just like Asher said, anyone, all the practitioners that you probably know who do Chinese medicine, the students who are in the schools, they, um, you know, they fear wind, they fear cold, they probably fear every natural element because they're told to fear all of these things. And they probably love porridge. So they're eating rice porridge in a windless, (laughs) thermally (laughs) controlled room all day long. That is their ideal state of being. And obviously, this is ridiculous on so many levels, but it's because they've learned that um, what we call the six different uh, imbalancing forces, or what maybe is a really good translation, the six different excesses, that's often translated as like the six evils. Shout out to Machocha being totally goofy on that thing. Uh, (laughs) Or sometimes we will call it the six pathogenic factors. At least that's close because it does lead to pathogenic, like it is pathogenesis, right? It's leading to a pathology. But really what we're talking about are five different things, technically six, but the sixth one is actually a blockage that's coming from the other five. Um, it's five different things that we refer to as the five different chi in the Neijing. And that's wind and cold, summer heat, dryness, and damp. And these are the five different chi. The sixth one, which is fire, actually comes from a blockage from those first five. Anywho, um, so when we t- talk about these in a pathological way, we're actually talking, we, we have a different word in Chinese. It's called liu yin, the six different yin. And yin here means excess, beyond the healthy amount. So really when people are talking about wind, wind is great. You ever been on an island? You want that breeze. You ever been too hot out of a, a, a shower? You want that cool, right? You ever been too cold? You want that warmth. You ever been too dry? You want that damp humidity. Um, and you've been too damp and you sure do want to dry out. So if you've never gone from Mexico to Colorado, you can feel that last one real nice. <laughs> did you dry out nicely? I did. I was like, oh my God, my body's not, I went to Mexico. Yeah. Like four days ago, but I was, and it was only for like two and a half days, but it is exactly the temperature and humidity that my body was never designed for. Um, so whew, glad to be back in Colorado. Um, <laughs> But anyway, you know, it was nice moistening for a time. Um, And that's the key is like based on where you're at, how much of those do you need and how much will push you into pathology? And that's the whole point. Wind is good. Wind is actually not just good. It's essential for growth. You cannot generate new things, including tissue and blood without wind. And you'll see this when we use it in formulas. We actually put wind herbs into formulas to instigate internal winds and lift the spleen yang and so forth. Um, so yeah, that idea of cold, how much is too much? If you don't get like, so like cold plunges, I know there's a lot of cold plungers out there. If you don't warm up on your own, not in like a hot thing, right? So if you put on your clothes again and you don't warm up within half an hour, you've overdone it. You have literally pushed yourself past your thermal stress, um, uh, ability to handle those things. If you warm up half an hour or less, and arguably even, um, at a slightly warmer temperature than normal, not like feverish, of course, but like you're not chilly at all. That's that's the spot. 
And so you want to gradually build your strength and you are actually strengthening from a Chinese medicine perspective, mostly your lungs there. Now, the second organ that I mentioned was um, kidneys and it's true. Kidney is water, water is cold. So there's this connection. And that's the idea where you definitely don't want your feet cold. So full body plunge is of course full body, but no one would stand in just cold water for half an hour, right? I hope that's not a thing. No, not that I know. Please TikTok, do not pick that up as a thing. Do not stand in cold water just in your feet for half an hour. So that would be the worst. But if it's full body, you'll know when it's too much because you know your chest is going to be cold and everything else. But that's the, idea the shiver and shake. Yep. And shiver and shake is good. That's like our way tea coming up to the surface. But then when you go too far, you'll realize you can't warm back up. And so you've actually damaged things. Okay. Yeah. Oh, I was just yeah. So like that's for cold. And I was thinking for like heat, like yo, like that's another one too, is like you know, if you go, go so far, like basically heat from a Chinese medicine perspective does two things. First, it damages our fluids. And second, it damages our chi. So if you go to the point where you're like unquenchably thirsty, you've already hit too much. And if you go to the point where you're really fatigued afterwards, like not revived, way too much. So if you guys go to a hot yoga class, a good example, you get out and you're like, I drink in water, but it just isn't hitting the spot. How come I still have a dry throat? How come I'm just not seeming to process my fluids? Drink in, pee out, but there's no like absorption in the middle. Too much. You damage your fluids. And then if you get to the point where you're fatigued afterwards, to the point where you're like, I just can't do anything else, you just over sweat, overheated your body to the damage point of like chi damage. So that's the idea where you'd go back the other way. In general, we don't love over sweating. So unless your spleen is tip top, um, which, you know, and let, you know, that'd be pretty cool. Like how many people have that tip top absorption? going on in their spleen, then you're probably not going to regenerate your fluids as fast as you're losing them in hot yoga. We may have just isolated a demographic, but you know, so, it be, so be it. Oh, uh, pulses when you are in Bikram yoga or a hot yoga, are you going to feel like uh, the stomach ate arteries or any of the other arteries in your body, like going differently because there's so much heat, things are pumping. You betcha. You betcha. So in general, the heat is always going to bring the pulse up to the surface, all of them. So if you guys take more than just the normal like lung channel tsunko pulse, that pulse has a name. It's called tsunko. Um, but yeah, if you're taking beyond the normal pulse point on the wrist, you'll feel this in all of them. The heat will really bring it up to the surface. And that's the same thing that happens in summer. That's why the Neijing tells us to needle more shallowly in the summer and more deeply in the winter because everything comes up to the surface, including the blood, including the chi. Um, and so when you go into a hot yoga class, you temporarily induce that. Um, but again, your coursing should come up to the surface, which means everything's going to feel a little bit more floating than it normally is, understandably so. But then once it starts losing all its fluid, it will start getting thinner um, to the point of, you know, if they start damaging their fluids notably. So then you start getting a thinner pulse because of fluid damage, and eventually you start getting a weaker pulse because of chi damage. Gotcha. Good, good. And then how about uh, those loungers who like to just sit in a hot tub <laughs> and cook from the inside? I see, but not actually do the yoga and stuff? Yeah, because I was wondering, because you're not sweating because you're in the water, are Ooh. you going to retain fluids better? You will be sweating. You'll just be sweating. Yeah, basically okay. you're sweating into the hot tub pool. Yummy. Yeah, that's great. <laughs> 
So, well, let's see. Let's make sure we, yeah, I want to make sure we got all those other ones before we, we cruise on to the third one. Oh, so we did thermal stress and then we were talking about the physiology stress. Oh, let's just go ahead and finish out those top five um, fatigues that we mentioned at the beginning. So like long-term looking at something damages your blood. And, and this one makes sense because when you fatigue your eyes, we clearly fatigue which organ? The liver. Oh my gosh. And liver stores the blood. So you start fatiguing that liver, you'll start damaging your blood. And so that's that whole... What's up? I was going to say, because with the liver storing the blood, uh, I was wondering with all excess, especially with the with the exercise movement, it's going to end up injuring the liver blood. Because there's that quote, right, right, where when you're active, the blood goes to the extremities to nourish everything and get things moving. Mm-hmm. And then in rest, it goes back to the liver. Nice. Uh, if you're constantly in this excessive exercise state, won't there not be enough to come back to the liver? That's absolutely right. Yeah. And so, and the opposite would be, well, what if you're always in the resting state and it's just storing the liver, you actually start building what we would call liver blockages, which actually do co- directly correlate to fatty liver and other things. So too much movement wears the blood down, too little movement causes stagnation in the liver. Sweet. Yeah. Or like Stephen likes to say, shall we eat? <laughs> That's right. Noise. Uh, so we got uh, <laughs> we got excessive reading and, and screen time and staring at stuff with our eyeballs that harms the blood. Excessive laying down harms the chi. So this is kind of the idea going back to that cold plunge. Um, we're stressing our lungs. And then can we we can of course overstress our lungs, but that does build up strength in our lungs, or what we would call wei qi. The wei qi or defensive qi is um, intercorrelated in. Um, I think it's the best translation word. It's like yeah, inter. It's connected to and intermingles with mutually the uh, lungs. And so here, when we are you know too cold, we can damage the lungs, but that's how we can rebuild our lung function, which is pretty cool. And actually laying down flat damages our qi which is actually through our, our lungs. And so as you might guess, um, the lung here connection is where um, this is really obvious in a pathology perspective. So one of the key questions we ever ask people who are pretty severely down um, the lung disease route is, can you lay flat? And if they can't lay flat, they can't breathe correctly or their lungs fill up with fluid. These are all very classic signs of notable severe stuff going on in their lungs, which of course we treat but um, it's very useful. So laying down flat too long actually really damages our chi via our lungs. Okay. Is there another side too where, you know, resting every night will, right, is going to replenish your chi? You bet. Right. Just the, not the excessive lying down, just the eight hours or whatever you need a night. Correct. Yeah. Shoot, eight. I mean, Chinese medicine would love a good nine. We'd really, Chinese medicine says basically you can lay down as long as the sun's not there, right? So, I mean, people could be sleeping 10 hours a night. That's no problem at all. Most of us don't probably need 10 hours just because our nutrition is a little bit better than it was in, um, you know, ancient China, just because they were, you know, more of a subsistence living. um, Yeah, but but most of us, you know, would really appreciate a good eight or nine hours. Your body would love it. And Asher brought up a good point, like sleep. Um, sleep actually does, um, as we're laying down all the blood and the yin kind of correlate, they come back to the, the liver and they store, and that's how we rebuild our, our, our yin. 
So when people wake up um, too early or they have sleeping problems, they're just not sleeping as well, that's uh, basically a recipe for yin damage, which actually is a fascinating one. So from a treatment perspective, when we see yin deficient people, we have ways of treating that. Acupuncture is actually really hard um, because acupuncture is a yang therapy. So if you want to see how, I mean, all the practitioners out there, I think you'll, you'll see this in your own practice, try nourishing blood with acupuncture. It's not impossible, but it's pretty darn hard. And basically the only way you can do it is through the spleen. So if you can improve absorption, then you can have them build their own blood. But there's no yin boosting point per se. Technically, the most yin nourishing point on the body, I think most um, experts, doctors, and everyone would agree, it's kidney six, right? Jiao hai. Yeah. Um, Sun yin jiao is not bad. It's more, it's like kind of half moving and half nourishing. But so, but again, it's, it's moderate. I mean, how, how much of an effect that actually has? Not as much, not nearly as much as how we can affect the yang of the body, the chi of the body. Um, and so really most of the time, just, you know, stomach 30, 60 stuff. That's one of the better ways to rebuild blood because you're going to improve, right? The ending trend, spleen nine is going to be a wonderful one too. Such a, a solid. And then if their liver's not moving, add Yangling Trend, GB34, so forth. The, yeah, that's a different episode. But the point here is sleep is really going to rebuild our, our yin. And so one of the cool ways that we do it even herbally is when we want to rebuild someone's yin, of course, we can give them Dangue for blood and so forth. But we often give them sleeping herbs that don't directly rebuild yin. They just help the patient sleep better to rebuild their own yin. Gui Tong is a really good example. Okay. Yeah, yeah. No, I've I've definitely run into that problem with myself and patients. Insomnia is a, a pretty hard one. Mm-hmm. I feel like running off that excess heat, which is a lot of times there, can yeah. be a useful one that I can do in the clinic that will help too. Um, Heck yeah. Because I'm just doing acupuncture. I'm not doing herbs. So Yeah. yeah. You, 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 you pointed to a great point, man. Running off that excess heat is a wonderful thing. And the best formulas, inc- including Suanza Rentang, have uh, germu in there for that purpose. Yeah. Um, okay, so that was uh, uh, lo- uh, laying down for too long damages the chi. Sitting down too long damages the spleen. Uh, I'm sorry, damages the muscle through damaging the spleen. We kind of touched on this before, um, but just the idea of if the spleen is weak, you'll see it in low kind of atrophy, well, atrophied, but low um, tone in the muscles, like where you push the muscle and it doesn't bounce back as well. There's got to be a hip-hop song about that. Call it spleen chi deficiency, no bounce back. Um, anyway, <laughs> uh, so that actually goes the other way, though, as we were kind of mentioned before. Um, literally strengthening your muscles will improve your spleen function. Check it out. See how many of your patients wear, and they when they do a little bit of muscle strengthening, you know, a couple times a week, building up to maybe every other day or something like that, or even every day if they're switching areas, it really does increases their um, spleen's digestive capacity. It really increases their absorption. Good stuff. So from Chinese medicine, we can go from organ to tissue or from tissue back to organ. Think about we do what we do in acupuncture, right? We're saying, oh, their spleen isn't functioning as well because spleen nine is really tender. And so we're going to use spleen nine, this distal thing to then go back and affect the organ. So we can do the same thing with the, the tissue that it controls as well. Then the last one is, uh, or second to last one is excessive standing damages the bones. And this is an interesting one. If you like stay in one spot too long, it really does kind of wear down and like put pressure on that bone. Um, and this is of course a kidney issue. So excessive standing, kind of like you think like people who are in sales, 
maybe at a retail store or something and they're standing too long, it really does kind of wear down the bones. And so like a standing desk, wonderful. Oh my God, Chinese medicine loves it. But maybe half standing, half sitting so that you're not damaging your kidneys and you're not damaging your spleen. Um, that would really be the best. So you're kind of switching it up throughout the day. And then the last one, um, long, uh, excessive walking damages the sinews. And you hear it, movement, walking, running, it's all kind of in the same word, xing. And this one is really talking about liver sinews. So as, as much, not, not the upward orifice of the, um, the eye, but it's actually talking about the sinews, which are also controlled by the liver. And then that one, it can also, um, excessive, you know, you know, exercise, um, and movement, but also walking and running and so forth can really damage the liver. This is an interesting one too, just like Asher was saying, when people like, for instance, marathon runners is a good example. Check out marathon runners, like look at the color of their tongue, their lips, their sublinguals. You can really see a lot of them have actually built up blood stasis or, or fluid deficiency due to or causing blood stasis um, because they've probably oversweat, overmoved, and really put a strain on their kidney, uh, I'm sorry, on their liver, but without necessarily... Um, going through the right steps to rehabilitate it. Yeah. So the only one that I see is missing would be the heart then. The fire organs don't have a a uh, direct fatigue connection. But I imagine that kind of monarch thing where it's all, all fatigue is going to affect the heart in some way kind of idea. Yeah, that's a really good point. So, um, you know, when you talk about all the different this, this the heart one would be the vessels. So if we're talking about the tissues of most of these organs, um, we talk about like the sinews or the tissue of the liver. Well, the vessels are the, the tissue of the heart. And it's actually interesting. That's not mostly due to activity that damages those, though an inactivity could. Um, but it's usually due to um, yeah things not circulating properly, um, which again would be linked more to inactivity as opposed to excess activity. That or maybe our, our our next one, which is the psychological stress, nice injuring the the shen, the heart. Such a good point, man. Um, so when yeah, exactly like Asher was saying, there's a phrase in Chinese. It's uh, from the Qing Dynasty. It's it goes "fu lao zhe dong zhi tai guo," which means um, when you've uh, done too much exercise or labor and you've moved around too much to the excess, our shen bu ning yi which means um, your shun can no longer be anchored. Um, and this is a really great quote. It's pretty late. It's Qing Dynasty, right? So not even that old. But the key here is um, when you really do go to that like extreme of physical stress, it tends to what we call unhinge or unanchor the shun. And it's, it's an interesting idea where you can see people really kind of over... Uh, yeah, like ring out their their mental activity. They just get strung out and so forth. And it can be due to running themselves a little bit too thin, um, you know, too much work, too much physical work, running around errands and all that sort of thing as well. So um, they talk about that same idea, the connection between physical and psychological. I mean, Chinese medicine really never separates those two per se. We just think that they're a manifestation of each other. Right. They call it pretty commonly the tired and wired out here. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Pretty classic for a lot. Stick around after class. Hermione has a few questions. Does that make me Hermione? <laughs> the anchoring the shin language always reminds me of the of the blood anchoring shin. So are they referring in a 
are they referring to the blood in a roundabout way or no? Yes. No, they, they often are. There's other things that can unanchor um, this kind of idea of shun. Shun is, um, for those of you guys out there, the word shun basically means the metaphysical component of the heart. But a lot of times we're talking about shun as a, a word to represent the metaphysical component of all five organs. Um, so there is such a thing as like full body shun. That's the one we look at in diagnosis. That's like their eye movement, their physical movement. Then there's the heart centric shun, and that's specific just to the heart. What are the key functions of that? And then there's a lot of times we'll use that word shun as a representation of all five songs, metaphysical function. So even though it's not, doesn't technically say the hun of the liver, the po of the lungs, the e of the spleen and the jur of the kidneys, when we say calming the shun, a lot of times what we mean is calm all five of those things or calm the one that's out of balance. Um, and it's a really interesting difference because as Asher said, you know, some people's heart is doing fine. It's actually their liver hun that needs the anchoring, but that's part of the diagnosis process. So we'll, we'll do a, uh, a practitioner episode later on, on that stuff. Any, any hootie. So the key here is when we're talking about anchoring a shun, um, uh, Asher's right. There's generally two things that we're looking for. Is there enough yin to anchor it in? Basically, is there enough firewood to bring that fire back down? Or what you can sometimes think about it, is there enough like uh, moisture to hold onto that? Right? We all know like dry desert air creates these crazy winds moving around and nothing can anchor. And then you go to like just somewhere that's more humid and that air totally calms back down. Well, it's actually the humidity and like the cloying nature of that humidity that anchors that yang, right? Wind is kind of like unanchored yang back down. So one is not enough yin, but two is also heat. So we know dryness and heat are the two causes of um, the, this yang-like things, metaphysical things or wind not anchoring into something. So a good example when we go back to the heart is, sure, heart blood deficiency could certainly cause the, sh the heart shun to not anchor or heart fire could burn out fluids and then also cause it to not anchor. And the interesting thing is, even though that sounds like they're both damaging the fluids, which they are, you don't. if you don't clear the heart fire, you can't fix the problem. But it is that fluid yin aspect that is responsible for the anchoring. Absolutely. Yeah. It can just be messed up by a young pathogenic factor. Correct. Yep. Yeah, specifically heat and dryness. Nice. Yeah. Sometimes when I'm thinking about the the psychological stress and stuff, I think of the image that I was given for the liver being the general was an interesting one because the general is sitting, he's like managing this chaotic battlefield, but he's in the inner piece of, of the tent, right? And hmm. so he's calm within this kind of chaotic thing. And in the same way, the liver blood has to be this calm space for you to be able to navigate your daily life, which can be a battlefield sometimes or mm. as it goes. I dig that. Yeah, I, I like that combination. Yeah. Another way you can think of it too, which is, this is a fun way that you'll see in a formula called Sinisan, is if you think about the liver yang, and actually the gallbladder helps here too, because um, the liver doesn't move in all the directions, but the gallbladder can. So that liver gallbladder yang function really can circulate all the way out to our hands and feet. So when we look at Sinisan, one of the key symptoms we're looking for is cold hands and feet. But interestingly, it's the liver's yin that's drawing it back towards the organ center. 
So if we think about herbs wise, chai hu is the thing that pushes it out to our hands and feet. But bai sha, which has an astringing and fluid building nature, is the thing that um, recedes it back to our liver. So you can think of it as the yin receding um, function, kind of like the retreat function, I suppose. The retreat but consolidation function, as opposed yeah. to the yang advancing function. Not not a haphazard retreat. Hey, no, no, these are strategic, strategic retreats. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> if you look at Sunzi's Art of War too, Sunzi Binfa, they uh, he actually talks about one of the best ways of strengthening your army. I mean, I'm sure he'd like it if you could just like ask your neighbor for another thousand troops, but most of the time he talks about putting your army in one place and consolidating the troops that you have is a way of strengthening your army. Um, obviously, it needs to be in a strategic place, but that's a really good point that like, you know, if we're not necessarily just able to add more, then sometimes consolidating to a single place can be a, a way of strengthening. Totally. Yeah. So just like you said, um, it's that that liver has those those dual components. The liver is a fascinating one. It's yin and yang functions are of all the five organs, the most different, like disparate between each other. In fact, they're so different. They're in different burners. The liver's yang functions in the middle burner, but its yin function is in the lower burner. Yeah, I was actually going to, I forget why I was going to talk to you about that, but that was one of the leftover questions I had of, why is the liver yin in the lower burner? Because the organ is nowhere near the lower burner, you know? Yeah, and that's why also the vast majority of herbs that nourish the kidney yin also nourish liver yin, at least a component of liver yin. Because we're talking about that liver yin, which is comes straight from the kidney, yeah. Y yes, T to be a hundred percent specific, this might be minutia for the muggles out there, but to be a hundred percent minutia, it it is transfers back and forth from the kidneys. So the kidneys do store and control the jing, and the liver stores and controls the blood, but jing and blood go back and forth to each other. Gotcha. I was going to say I forgot this was a muggles episode. <laughs> It's all good. It's all good. Muggles got to learn how to fly on a broomstick at some point. Um, but yes, and then there's there's also the component of yin nutritive fluids, which is the the third um, yin fluid, um, which is basically the composition uh, composite uh, like word of jin and yin. So those are the four yin fluids in our body, and the liver really deals with pretty much all of them: uh, the jing, the blood, the jin, and the yin. Huh. That makes sense too. It's like, you know, it's the one that's after the water and it's distributing the water to the rest of the body. Oh, yeah. Nice. Huh. Because of its, its wood-like nature, is that what you're talking about? Yeah. Totally, man. Right. Just a very simple generating cycle from water to wood to... I see what you mean. Yep, exactly. So it's taking what it inherits from the previous organ or the previous you know, water element. Yeah. Yeah. Giving it the yin fire for the fire. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs>